This week on Dig Me Out. If you're contemplating the keyboard trumpet solo, just go ahead and turn off the keyboard and stop the song. Before you plug in the Casio, get the line level set. Think twice and maybe pack it in for the night. Tim and Jay review Villa Elaine by Remy Zero. You walk this world like you're a ghost. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, back for our fourth season, episode 156, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, welcome to the new year, 2014. Our spacecrafts have landed us at this moment in time. Our jetpacks are fueled and ready for the for the uh, Astro Bowl coming up on the moon. And uh, didn't you think 2013 the picture of a uh, 2014 was gonna be cooler? Of a, 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 the way you're describing it, it sounds like a, a Boston album cover. <laughs> yes. All my uh, all my sci-fi is based on Boston album covers, <clears throat> so that's true. So. I was expecting a little bit more like the Martian Chronicles, but oh, I'll take Boston for Boston third stage. Our first album of the year, Jay, to segue oh so gracefully, is one in which we are both uh, familiar. This was one that I, I'd listened to back in the day, but I, I'll admit I haven't lift, I haven't picked up in quite some time, and and I don't think you have either. And I'm speaking of Remy Zero and their second album, Villa Elaine. It's like the way I say, like to say it. Villa Elaine or Villa Elaine. So tell me about your history with Remy Zero, Jay. When did you first hear them? Uh, when did you uh, discover them? And when did you stop listening to them? <laughs> when did I stop? Uh, I started listening to them from the single prophecy i'm pretty sure i think i heard that on the radio uh was intrigued um wound up getting the album one way or another so i got it new i think and saw them live around this time and uh listened to the album for a couple years here and there probably haven't listened to it in several several years now but uh i don't know it's come up here and there throughout the uh time i originally bought it and i think i've given some of the other records a, a, a listen occasionally but mm-hmm. uh it's, it's in the collection uh, like you I, I sort of discovered them from from the album we're reviewing uh, i know that we played or at least had the first album the self-titled album in the studio at our college radio station but i don't recall anything from it mm. uh, but i remember once this album sort of took off going back and sort of digging that one out and trying to figure out what I missed the first time around. So, uh, without further ado, Jay, let's get into the history of the band. History of the band. So Remy Zero was originally formed in Birmingham, Alabama in 1989 with Sinjin Tate on vocals and guitar Brother Shelby Tate on guitar vocals and keyboards, Cedric Lemoyne on bass, and Jeffrey Kane on guitar and vocals. Uh, original drummer Gregory Slay uh, passed away in January of 2010. So they moved out to, uh, to L.A. Well, first what happened was they recorded a demo tape, and it got played on, uh, I think it's KCRW out in Los Angeles, 
and Radiohead happened to hear them. Um, this is back early 90s. I'm guessing this is Radiohead Pablo Honey era. Um, actually, yeah, I guess then. So when the, when Radiohead puts out the bends, they contact this band, Remy Zero, and say, why don't you come out and tour for us? So for part of the U.S. tour, uh, Remy Zero opened before they had you know any sort of a deal or you know any a record out, essentially. So the band moved from Alabama to Los Angeles to record their first album, which was the self-titled Remy Zero. It came out in 1996 on Geffen Records. Two years later, this album, uh, Villa Elaine, also on Geff- Geffen Records, was released. A couple of interesting notes. Uh, the keyboards are uh, partially the responsibility, or uh, partially uh, played by Benmont Tench, the famous uh, keyboard player. And this album was mixed by... Mr. Alan Mulder, who worked on many a famous albums in the uh, 80s and 90s. So after they recorded this album, uh, Radiohead took them back out on tour, and they opened for part of their OK Computer tour. The song Prophecy, which you mentioned, Jay, was used in several uh, soundtracks, including uh, She's All That and The Last Kiss. The song Fair was used on the soundtrack for the movie Garden State. Uh, Hermes Bird, I think that's how you pronounce it, was used in the the TV series Felicity and Charmed, and the song Problem appeared on the soundtrack to the Drew Barrymore film Never Been Kissed. So around the time of this, Geffen was pushing this album hard, obviously. They were getting it on the soundtracks, getting it on the TV shows. Uh, They had popularity with the single. They were touring with with Radiohead Folk and Computer. Uh, It took three years for the follow-up, and that came out, in 2001, The Golden Hum was released on Electra, and the song Save Me became the theme song for the show Smallville on the CW. Cash money there. Yeah, except the band broke up. So after making The Golden Hum, the band broke up. Uh, Shelby and Sinjin Tate created Spartan Fidelity. Jeffrey Kane joined Isidore and later created Dead Snares. Cedric Lemoyne toured with Alanis Morissette's band. Uh, before joining the band O Plus S, and then Gregory Slay uh, created the band Sleepwell. As I mentioned, Gregory Slay died uh, at age 40 from complications of cystic fibrosis in 2010. Um, the band got back together for a couple of tribute shows. Uh, one was in uh, his hometown of New Orleans. Um, and uh, after that, they played a couple additional shows. They released... A single um, um, in uh, September 2010 called Till the End. Uh, in October uh, of 2010, they played a couple more shows in uh, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. And the band announced that was it. They were done. They weren't going to get together and do anything else. And that was the last we have heard from Remy Zero. So if you would like to suggest a band for us to review, head on over to request the review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Choose an album, choose a band, and send us a little donation, and we will take care of your suggestion on a future episode. We got some Facebook feedback on this record. Friend of the show, former guest, Sean Michael Foster says, Holy shit, a masterpiece, and I lived in the Villa Lane for five years, same time and after they did. Magical place as well, I have tons of stories. We'll have to get those uh, offline at some point. Uh, Chip Copeland says, I'll have to listen to this and get back to you on my thoughts. 
but from what I remember of Remy Zero, it wasn't good. 37-year-old me might like them better than 20-year-old me. Oh, that's probably true for many things. Like fiber. <laughs> and sleeping at 10 o'clock Did you say at fiber? Night. Fiber, yeah. Okay. <laughs> they said viper. No. Like dodge like, vipers. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense too. Eric Grubbs, friend of the show, former guest. Saw them on this tour with Semisonic in Austin at Liberty Lunch. Great show, great band. I also remember how Best Buy pushed this record on their Find Them First campaign. And Joe Royland, good choice. A definite improvement on their debut, but the 2001 follow-up, The Golden Hum, is still their high watermark. That said, still like spinning this one. Prophecy is a great tune that should have been a bigger hit, and I also quite like Yellow Light and Hermes Bird. I'm going to say Hermes because I like that. Uh, Hummus. Hummus bird. So, Jay, we're going to try out something new this year based on feedback we got last year. We're going to go track by track, starting with number one, Hermes bird. Uh, what do you think of Hermes bird? Hermes bird. Uh, I think it's a good It's a good opener. It sort of feels like, um, in my notes here, it has, it's a feel of like morning or sunrise or... You know, the album sounds like it's emerging. Um, you get a lot of the elements that are prevalent over the record. Um, some cool guitar picking, a lot of layering um, with acoustics and electrics and keys. And, um, you know, vocally, he, I kind of like, uh, he does something in this song where the first verse is a little more um, restrained than the second verse. He kind of opens up and he goes into another register. Um, which is a nice, nice touch. Cool bass line, actually, and 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 a really good bass tone. So just, mm-hmm. I mean, I think overall it's a good album opener, and you get a pretty good uh, sense of what the what the record's going to be like from it. I think that the the comparisons that this band got to Radiohead, uh, the Benz era, sort of start with this song. Um, the bass line is very prevalent on this song in the same way that the bass line is prevalent in a lot of Benz era uh, Radiohead. It would sort of, I think, dissipate as they went on, and the and the drums became more important, and the keyboards and the and the guitar. Um, but you think of mm. a song like Planet Telex from uh, from um, Radiohead's The Benz has a very 
distinct bass line to it. Just the, just the overall sort of sound and, and vibe of this song has a very Radiohead feel to me. It's not necessarily something that's going to carry through the whole record, but I understand the comparisons and, and why this band was often lumped in with Radiohead. Um, and I think that the, the comparisons start to stop actually with the second song, which is Prophecy. Um, for yeah. me, what I think is most interesting is how much his vocal separates from uh, Tom York on this song. He has almost like a vamping quality to it. Did you notice that? Like, that's when he says, yeah. "You, uh, what's the line?" He says, um, "You walk this world like you're a god." Like, it's mm-hmm. he's he's got a lot of attitude behind his vocal. Yeah, the whole song has a, has a bit of a strut to it. You know, you can see like, you know, models walking to it or something. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely vocally and from a music standpoint has a lot more attitude than you would see with uh, with a Radiohead for sure. I, th- I don't uh, I kind of like and don't like the way the vocal is done on this song it overall the song um, I don't know it, it it's almost a little too processed sounding to me between the effects on the guitar and then how layered his vocal is I don't know it, it, it I think it's a good song it just feels a little bit artificial at times and, well um, I think overall the record has a little bit almost a touch too much production to it at times. Yeah. So that's probably an element of that. And, you know, this is their their shot at making a big studio record. So it sort of makes sense that they would do um, that. But I think it's prevalent throughout the record, actually. I think the song, it separates itself from the rest, rest of the record quite a bit. I'm a little conflicted if it's almost too much. And I'm not quite sure if it's just the style of songwriting or the style of song or the the production aspects coming coming together in a way that's a little bit too further, uh, like you were saying, and it goes a little too far. But I, I've always felt like this song kind of, in a way, it uh, with a lot of records or with a lot of uh, you want to call them one hit wonder. I guess you could. I guess they, no. I guess they had a second hit. At yeah, least this, on this album, yeah. it, was, it was the only big single. Um, you get that sense of. Uh, this song worked. There's some other stuff that's similar, but not, not very close. So if you no. really like this song, which I did, I was a little thrown by the rest of the record, to be honest, when I first got into it, because this one's so a little bit too far in terms of difference. Yeah, I can see that. And and they jump into track three, which is uh, "Life is Rain," "Life and Rain." This is the inev- what I call the inevitable Jeff Buckley influence. Which hit a lot of bands in the, in the latter half of the '90s. Yeah, you should copyright you know, that. <laughs> the inevitable drop quickly. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. You know, it's it's him using his vocal uh, in the forefront and really making it a, a dramatic and uh, you know in the way that Jeff Buckley would would with his vocal. It's a it's a quieter song, more subdued. It has a really cool yeah. acoustic guitar part in it that's. Um, almost classical in nature, I guess you could say, for someone who's not mm. has studied. It, it probably sounds classical. Um, when it layers, it kind of layers in. Yeah. You know, so like the chorus. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's a nice change of pace, uh, and it shows a, diff- a completely different side of the band. Uh, but I think it brings up what's going to be a, a recurring theme, which is his vocal sort of shifts from song to song. Attitude and his delivery kind of try to match the song and it almost makes him sort of a chameleon as a vocalist which uh, i wasn't expecting in returning to the record i don't know if you picked up on that 
I did. I think this is one of the few songs where his vocal is pretty much, it's not naked and dry, but it's solo, at least for a lot of the song. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the other tracks, he's doing a double or he's doing a harmony of himself. Um, so this has definitely got a different vocal sound to it. And I like I like that there, that this song is on here because it gives me a sense of what his voice truly sounds like. Like I mentioned on Prophecy and, and a lot of the other songs, there's so much reverb or there's so much doubling going on. It almost, you can't quite make out exactly what the tonal qualities of his voice are, you know, as a human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is one of the songs where you can do that for sure. So, you know, from that aspect, and I appreciate it. It also, there's a couple moments on this record, track one and this one, where I was reminded of the frames or Glenn Hansard. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, especially and, that second one, the Fitzcarraldo album. Yeah. And the only thing that is bad about that is that I would have to describe it as sort of a, a poor man's Glenn Hansard. Like, I don't mm. think he's quite in that caliber as a singer, but I like Glenn Hansard so much that especially that the, the frames record we reviewed it uh it's not a terrible thing to be in the ballpark side note i just watched a recent episode of uh letter david letterman and glenn hanser did a solo acapella version of a song called drive all night by bruce springsteen for like he did a charity ep and he just got up there and sang it all by himself without any music and it was pretty astounding <laughs> good lord yeah i mean the, the dude just has an amazing <laughs> set of pipes an amazing set of balls to do that. Yeah, Holy hand smokes. balls too. <laughs> Is there anything more terrifying than that? I Singing can't. acapella on TV? No, I, I can't really think of it. <laughs> uh, so let's let's go to track four. This is actually one of my favorite tracks on the record, and it's uh, the longest. It's called Hollow, oh. and it's a really sort of weird song. It starts out in like a, like a half-tempo halftime and and it's uh building and then it goes to a regular time and then when it goes uh, when it goes back to halftime it turns into this almost like it reminds me of like velvet gold mine soundtrack type stuff where it's like this glam rock um he's belting it out like he's frigging uh what's his name uh mark bolin or something like that i mean he's just like with combined uh, with uh uh freddie mercury or something like it has this this like big 70s british glam feel to it and um yeah. it's a total very left Mot- turn on the record very mata hoople yeah mata hoople oh, and i i don't i don't know what to make of it i just know that i like it i just I th- like because it it's yeah. him just kind of really and especially when you get in the last like two minutes of the song he's just really belting it out and it's nice to hear his vocal um go that far to the edge where he's yelling and getting at the top of his register yeah it's a nice um I don't know that I like all six minutes of it, but uh, it starts off, it's kind of unassuming um, and almost dull. And then he busts into that, that the part you're talking about um, that reprises a couple times. Got tons, tons of attitude. It's got that, you know, kind of like you mentioned, that glam feel. And then it kind of shifts into this weird, almost like circus music slash jellyfish slash prog thing. Mm-hmm into i guess what would be a chorus i think my problem with it is is the middle gets really experimental um and different like a different part and then the outro sounds a little bit like jane's addiction and 
it's just there's a little too much going on. Uh, I would really love, would have loved if they had taken the, you know, the first couple of minutes of the song and really just refined that and made it into just um, you know, a lot more concise take on that that Mata Hoople sound was mixed with this sort of like unassuming lull, you know, intro mm-hmm. and verse. I think it's a little th- am- amateurish to me at times. Like it, uh, it was well. just like, okay, where are you, where are you going? <laughs> like you got a lot of cool ideas here. Why do we need a, like a sixth or seventh idea? Right. The first and two I were think, fine. I think that's one of the overall, one of the problems with the record is that it's just, which is ironic because the next song is called problem, but, uh, they go in a lot of different directions and they never return necessarily to any of the ideas. So it makes it a little bit of a disjointed record because you're like, Oh, they really do this sort of up-tempo guitar rock thing. Well, and then they don't go back to it or they kind of have this like seventies kind of glam feel, but then they never go back to it. And it sort of lends itself to them sort of, it's sort of a grab bag of various sounds that they were kind of either influenced by or listening to. So track uh, five is, is problem. And the thing that, I was mentioning with them bouncing around from idea to ideas. This is sort of like what I think should have been the single single for this album. And it would have been more representative, I think, uh, of the overall sound of this record. You know, Prophecy has a pretty heavy guitar sound that they don't really utilize that much anymore. Whereas Problem's a little bit more mid-tempo-y and, and it has an acoustic guitar. And th- when they actually get to the, the hook of the song... It's actually quieter than the rest of the song when he hits the problem part of the chorus and they sort of do this like uh, broken beat part mm. at that. And it's it's nice and it's interesting and, and I like the direct guitar that comes in in the, in the, cor- uh, the verses. Inside you feel so tired surprised this wasn't a single this the prophecy and uh Grammary were the two singles this wasn't so i don't understand that but i think this is one of the high points on the record yeah i agree with you it's one of my favorite songs on the record i think it's a good sonically it's a good place for them i, I like the you know that uh at least the verses are you know cl- you know up tempo ish and that but they're played on acoustic um, and there's a cool layering going on with that fuzzy kind of lead guitar or me- melody over top. I think his vocal fits in really well with that mix. I think the chorus is pretty strong. It's not perfect, but it's memorable. Uh, it's it's hooky enough. Uh, the verses almost have like a spring scene kind of delivery to them in terms of their energy. And, you know, they just sound a little bit, um, I don't know, off the cuff or spontaneous and loose, um, which I like too. And I agree. I think it's... Um, it's a more honest representation of the band and the in the overall the record. Track uh, six, it's Wither Vulcan. I'm not sure if that's a reference to Star Trek or not. I don't know. 
I had a, I, this song reminded me a lot of another artist, but I can't place who it is. But it's, I don't know if it's like uh, more of like that what? 70s, what were you going to say? Donovan? Yeah, it has like this early 70s, late 60s sort of hippie-ish sort of vibe with the with the layered vocal of the um, harmonies in the chorus. And again, another weird turn for the record kind of got a weird like irish folk sound to it yeah and did you were you surprised that they were originally from alabama yeah if you told me this band was irish i would have totally believed you yeah i was thinking the same thing like if if you had said i mean i knew that they weren't but if if you had said this band was originally from the uk i'd be like yeah Mm -hmm. that makes sense this sounds like a uk band it's a bizarre song i mean it's like a donovan irish folk it's a little beatlesque with the harmonies and the vocals and the and the chorus um I think it's it's an okay album track, you know. I don't think it's a mm-hmm. it's a nice change of pace on an album, but not something you'd want to go back to a lot. Now, one song that I do like to go back to is track seven, uh, "Grammaray," "Grammary," however you say that. "Grammary" has a cool sort of electronic vibe. Even I don't. I guess that's the way I would describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, has this distorted guitar part matched up with a piano part? That I guess that's Ben Tench playing. Um, his vocal gets high. He shows off some of his range in the song. Um, it's mid-tempo, and it's uh, not overly aggressive in any way, but it's got some propulsion to it, even though it's kind of mid-tempo. Yeah. I think that's because of the combination. I think there's drums, and I think there's some sort of a loop going on. I'm not sure uh, exactly what it is, but it definitely has like a very, I guess, 90s feel to it. I don't know how else to describe yeah. it. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. There's a couple of songs on this record. This is one in particular where they use that drum loop sound that's got like, I don't know what's going on. There's like percussion mixed in or there's like mm-hmm. some kind of delay and it gives like a really full, you know, drum sound that was very popular in the 90s. And, you know, you're right. It, it, the, it That aspect of it for sure uh, sort of speaks to the time. Straight from the sound She's seen as a bright sun To anyone Hollow in mind The weight of a world Trailing out till the last dream Discovers me Alive on vine She moves and it's fire I felt like the the intro was so dramatic and big sounding. Uh, once they kick into the to the main riff, mm-hmm. um, and I always loved that part. You know, that's one of the songs that really stuck out to me when I got the record back in the day, and it sticks out to me now. Except that now, when I listen to it, I think it's a really big sound and a really big intro for the beginning of the song that I'm not sure the rest of the song really ever delivers on. Hmm. It's sort of like. Uh, you know, it's like the cashmere riff. Like that riff is huge, very dramatic. Both of them sound like there's like strings mixed in uh-huh. of some sort. But if you're gonna, you know, have a big riff like that, I feel like you really gotta pay it off with an amazing song and some other parts that are like, you know, 
really deliver on the uh, emotion of it. And I'm not sure that this song, it's not a bad song. I just don't, I just listening to it now. I don't feel like it fully delivers the promise of that intro. Gotcha. I, I gotcha. There's so many layers of vocals on this song too. Jeez. Yes. They're everywhere. Again, they, they had some studio time <laughs> to put this record together. So they, uh, they definitely used it. <laughs> Track eight, yellow light. This, uh, the guitar riff that uh, it sounded like it's I'd heard it like in some other song somewhere I don't know if it was like it sounds like off of like uh, U2's pop album or something or yeah, uh, yeah 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 but it sounded totally. really familiar and even like that like you mentioned that drum beat with the where it's a drum it's a very 90s drum beat with that like extra percussion yeah. again it's, this is sort yeah. of that drum beat yeah it's a good this little. This could totally be a nine uh, '90s U2 song. Yeah, yeah. Just you know the way the vocals delivered, it's a little bit different. But um, the musically, it's straight off of pop or uh, whatever that all that you can't leave behind album that came out after it. It's a good up tempo track. It's got some cool guitar stuff that goes on throughout the, the entire song. This is an instance where. It's it's over four minutes. I think you could probably cut the like the last thirty seconds or forty five seconds off this song and made it a bit more of a a single. You know, I know four minutes isn't terribly long, but uh, there's just they like they stop the song and then they kick back in again at the end for like an extra, yeah. you know, a couple times through the riff with some vamping on the vo- vocal vamping and then some guitar stuff and just I didn't really need it I, at this point. I started to notice the length of the songs. Because you yeah. had um, the four-minute song, and then a five-minute song, and another four-minute song, and I'm sort of happy that they stuck a couple of shorter songs at at nine and ten because it was I was starting to feel it drag a little bit. Why well, didn't get your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Yellow Light, Jay? Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think the it does on um, a little overly '90s to me, but I think it's a good song. I think there's some cool guitar stuff going on where they're bouncing back and forth i think there's um some decent vocal melodies here it could have been a single i think if they were to edit it down a little bit more um i guess my only criticism of it is that the drum beat gets a little monotonous by the end because mm-hmm. it's the same loop through the whole song you know yeah. four four minutes of that same drum loop it's it's a little much track 10 or excuse me track 9 motorcycle um i like the dynamics in this song the it has a loud or a quite loud dynamic um, but they don't do it in like the Nirvana Pixies mold. Um, the 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 verses are just a bit more subdued. And when he goes into the uh, the motorcycle chorus part, it's uh, it's you know him belting it out, but the vocal sort of carries the majority of the volume. Um, there's some organ I think that's in, that's thrown in there um, that adds to the volume a little bit, but uh, it's not necessarily like a huge shift but it's just enough to get your attention and it's a it's yeah, a good think, album track yeah it, you know it's not bad i, I, I think this though really stuck out to me is being them at probably their most generic um hmm. you know this could this could be a dishwall song or any of the the various like posts radiohead you know bands it could be an album track right. off of any of those bands palo alto any of those bands um, it's fairly generic mid mid to late 90s alternative pop sounding um, and I think from a songwriting standpoint there's there's so many shifts and swings and changes in here of chord of chords and 
stuff, especially in the chorus that never really, to me, gains any momentum. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, track 10, Fair, starts out quiet, you know, just a guitar, vocal, and I think there's like a little bit of a tambourine in there for part of it. And the song sort of slowly starts to build over the about four minutes long um, track. It doesn't necessarily go anywhere. It's it's a good end th- of the but, album sort of track. Um, if it had been the end of the album, I but think when they get to that one twenty five mark, where I think they're, I think that's where the chorus. I guess you would call that the chorus. Where they sort of build up to that part. Mm-hmm. I think that part. That's that's almost like hit material. Like you're close. Unfortunately, the the minute it takes to get to that is just. Uh, just kind of meandering and not really that memorable. But when they build up to that, it sort of feels to me like a, you know, a, a ballad, a 90s ballad. You right. Know? It's got that soaring kind of quality to it. And, you know, it's it's a it's a very pretty moment at that at that time. But unfortunately, the rest of the song isn't isn't uh, concise enough to pay off to 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 pay off as a potential single or hit. It's your life. Well, it's only fallen frames they told me. You stand out so loud and so what if it is? It's cold as your face into the wind. And where to go tonight in sunshine? What if you catch me? Where would we land? Somebody's life for taking his hands. Sing to me hope as she stole on the stand. All of our work is rated again. Where to go? Well, the last song, um, when I got to it and I saw it was 13 minutes and 29 seconds, I thought, oh, great. The typical overindulgent last track of a 90s album. But it turns out it's actually just one song with a lot of space and then a little bit of an instrumental uh, at the end. So Goodbye Little World, or I always like to call it the Welcome Back Cotter song because it has, has the same beat as, or yeah, the, the beat is Welcome Back Cotter's theme song. Um, <laughs> <It's awesome. laughs> I never noticed that. Yeah. Holy yeah, crap, once you hear a, that, that's... you can't unhear that. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Do and he do almost do sings do it do like do that. Do he do almost do sings do it do like, do uh, do. like, wow. um, like the guy from uh, Welcome Back, Cotter, whoever sang the theme song to Welcome Back, Cotter. If anybody knows that, you are a hero. <laughs> God, that's awesome. Yeah, I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite place what what it was. It did sound very familiar to me. That's and funny, man. here's the thing: is that I actually don't think it's that bad of a song. Like, it's got a good chorus. And it's got some cool guitar stuff that's going on. Nothing spectacular, just, you know, interesting little dabbles here and there of, of guitar parts. But it's an odd song. Like, there's nothing on this record that's like that would make you think they were going to do this. And there's like a the, uh, faux, tr- like, keyboard. Is it a keyboard trumpet solo that's going on in this song? I don't song? know what that is. I don't know what that thing is. The... Yeah. Yeah. Didn't need that. The Welcome Back Cotter theme was written by 
is written and performed by John Sebastian. That's right, John Sebastian. Welcome back. <laughs> it is on Spotify. Awesome. If you're but, ABM, they're probably real close. It's interesting on Spotify, this record, um, the Remy Zero record, they actually separate the two songs out as separate tracks without the space. And then they offer them as an, it offers it as an additional track, quote unquote, with the full 13 minutes together. So huh. It's kind of nice if you don't want to put up with the, the BS. The nonsense. But if you're a purist and you want to experience it like it really originally was, the track is there to, to uh, listen to. If if you're a purist for silence, but yeah, so you can get the silence. It reminded me of like them trying to do like a Beatles White Album kind of moment. Yeah, you know, where some of the songs on there where they're can't kind of campy and fun. Unfortunately, most of the songs on the Beatles record are like a minute and a half long, and this is five, almost six minutes before you even get to the hidden track. Right. Um, I'm not sure wh- why that would be necessary to to do that, but I think if they would have trimmed it up, it'd be a fine little kind of a fun little album ender, but not a, not at six minutes. No, it should have been like a minute and a half or two minutes. It's too long. When you have to throw in a fake keyboard trumpet solo you've gone too far so (laughs) that's that's my word or this is my words of wisdom if you're if you're if you're contemplating the keyboard trumpet solo just go ahead and turn off the keyboard and stop the song if you're plug if before you plug in the casio get the line level set right just think twice and maybe pack it in for the night just fade it out fade it out Jay, we've reached the end of Villa Lane by Remy Zero. Let's give our final thoughts on this record, and let's give it a rating of worthy album, better EP, or decent single. Where are you at? Well, this is a record that I know there's a lot of people that have strong feelings for and really identify with it, and I've given it a lot of time through the years to try to understand that. At this point, I think it's a worthy record. I just don't I don't quite go to the extreme the some folks do with it. It's I think it's it's a little bit based on the comments that we had on the show, it's a little polarizing. I think you got mm-hmm. people on either end where it's like some people will listen to this and think, Well geez, this is like totally generic, you know, late nineties alternative pop rock and then other people hear something something else and something bigger than that. So it's interesting to listen from that standpoint alone. I kind of have to go with an EP. I think that there are six really, really solid, good songs. And then there are five that I can probably do without. I would probably... And the most of it's on the first half of the record, honestly. I think you could take tracks one, two, three, four, five, and then track seven. And that would all be good for me. Um, After that, they become sort of album tracks and not stuff that I necessarily would want to listen to all the time. So mm. I'm at a, I'm at an EP for this one. This is uh this is not going to be a full record for me. Wow. So the, yeah. So, Controversial. But I know our first record of the year and we're already not in agreement. So what has the, what has 2014 brought us? Or <laughs> uh, something like that. Wow. So, uh, if you agree or disagree, you can head on over to our Facebook page, our Tumblr, uh, digmeoutpodcast.com, or shoot us over a tweet on our Twitter account and let us know if we are right or if we are wrong. 
with our opinions on Remy Zero and their album Vila Alain. Uh, and of course, you can leave us feedback on our iTunes page. We appreciate that as well. And we will be soon announcing our winner for the iTunes uh, who, g- who gave feedback back in December. We will be picking a person who will win a free review for 2014. That's coming up soon. Look for it on uh, the website and on the Facebook and on the Twitter and all those uh, various outlets. Uh, so, uh, and lastly, uh, please head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com if you have a suggestion for us to review. That's it. First review in the books for 2014. We are out of here. Come on back next week for another episode. Dig me out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Welcome back.